Well now, it looks suspiciously like we are live for a rail matter. Hello everyone. It's uh it's 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 episode 194. We are uh, planning tonight to dig into uh, Britain's passenger rail usage data. The uh if you uh, remember last let's 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 click over here. Hello everyone by the way. Hello in the chat. Um, hello, I can see sound appearing before me. Um, yeah, if you remember the the um, the feed that we had been using to generate our uh, post COVID versus or, or uh, kind of um, uh, during COVID uh, ridership statistics versus pre COVID levels um, has been uh, paused at the moment, which is a little frustrating. Ostensibly on data quality uh, reasons, but anyway, uh, in the meantime, the uh, ORR have released their passenger rail usage uh, report uh, for November 2023, which covers up to, um, basically covers up to kind of summer and a, and a bit beyond. Um, uh, well, yeah, it covers from April to June 2023. Um, and there are some interesting things to uh, to look at in this. This is the first quarter of the 2023-2024 financial year. There are some interesting things in here. There's a, there's a lot of extra detail that we don't get from the other data set, um, including things like revenue, uh, vehicle kilometres, which is a very interesting one. There's some just, just some good stuff that we can pick through, and that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, it's a live session, so uh, chuck your questions in the same direction. Um, is this the same set of data that Jeff uses in his least used stations series? Yes, it's the same. Or it's it's a, a, the RR data includes that information, but uh, actually it's a different data set technically. There are lots of different data sets the RR generate, and all are accessible within the RR data portal. Um, uh, so uh, thanks to the RR and the folks in the RR who maintain that. I uh, look forward to you all being subsumed into British Rail uh, soon, and this just being part of the British Rail stats, uh, because if I just go briefly go big face... Oh, I forgot to put the big light on behind me. It's going to be a bit dingy in here for once, because in the past, used to used to be that BR would publish this. Um, there's a docking here. The uh, there, look, the uh, British Railways Board facts and figures. There, they used to publish all sorts of interesting tidbits, uh, and within this one, what's quite interesting is that the uh, Eastern Region have their own slip that's been added into this, which includes. The uh, rather nice thing saying, haven't haven't we done haven't we done well, British Rail Eastern Region there uh, talking about their financial progress, which is quite fun. Um, maybe someday we'll we'll do some flip throughs of this because there's, there's some really lovely and quite interesting data in here. Um, you know, stuff to do with the the different rolling stock, uh, different. So this is very much the the data here that we're looking at is is the stuff that this is the equivalent data sets that uh, there are are ostensibly publishing. So it's, it's always interesting to have a look at that. Anyway, this data, soon to be, this will be the branding I'm sure that BR will use when BR returns and publishes this ORR data when the ORR is subsumed into BR in the future we can dream about together. Anyway, let's put that, put that back on the shelf so I don't lose it. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, anyway, uh, for the, the additional uh, description of um, of uh, of kind of this this data, definitely go back and look at the uh, Jumbles London Reconnections uh, long read. Uh, well worth flicking through. There's some stuff that I'm thinking about in this, but uh, actually it's been a while since I read the piece, so that, that I'll, I'll I'll be interpreting the data on my own with my own thoughts uh, this evening. But uh, yeah, to go back and have a look at the uh, go back and have a look at that uh, that. Uh, report from Jumble in London Reconnections because very insightful, lots of useful stuff. Um, 
there's some people here playing the uh, playing the bingo. I can't remember what we had as a as a as a we are live or is there sound. I think I was fairly pro in trying to introduce the episode without without my usual um, uh, catchphrases. Anyway, right, let's 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 get on with it, shall we? Um, everyone, uh, welcome to tonight's rail natter. City 225 fades away. Uh, Raphael Nicolas asks, uh, the data in the book, was it metric? Yeah, I believe it was metric, yes, uh, for the most part. Anyway, before we start, we must talk about the news, um, which is, uh, obviously, we had a, a, another stupid budget day, a, a, a ridiculous British tradition that I look forward to um, disappearing for good. Um, let us talk about uh, the, the the one key. So the Resolution Foundation, as has become traditional, uh, have d- done a thread pointing at how stupid the autumn statement was and how many how many how many more people it was going to impact. Uh, so obviously the first thing they they always do in the thread, which I think is really good, is they uh, they point out uh, which groups of people on which income decile or or so or here it's not deciles here it's whatever the the, the half half of a decile is. 20ths um, is the number of adults who are going to be losing um, uh, support due to changes in the work capability assessment. Um, so poorer people versus richer people. Um, net equivalized household income uh, vigintiles. Ooh, crikey. Uh, maybe that's the bottom 20%. Anyway, in any case, basically, it's impacting on the worst off in society very hard. Relevant to what we talk about, though, is the the graph of the next thing here, which is that the number two thing that they've uh, inter- pulled out of the autumn statement, which is that capital spending is set to fall by over a third as a share of GDP between its peak in 2023-24 and 28-29, a cut equivalent to 20 billion in current prices, seriously undermining future growth prospects. Also, our chance of tackling climate change in any way whatsoever. Bearing in mind that, let, let's zoom in on that graph. Bearing in mind that the uh, that the 2020s is supposed to be the decade that we do everything. This is the decade we're supposed to do everything. Our investment should be up at historic high levels because we're facing a historic challenge. Um, historic high levels being the, uh, the the mid to late 60s here, when we spent 8% of GDP investment. We should be up there on our levels of investment right now. Instead, we are looking at record lows um, and uh, all at a time when we should be doing stuff. It's, it's, it's frightening. It is absolutely frightening. Um, this is this is bad. But on top of this, of course, is the, you know, the budget day is a, is a bad way to run a country. Anyway, we should not balance the finances of the of the year on on um, on you know press releasable uh, nonsense stuff that happens once a year. We should this this stuff should be getting checked and evol- and should be evolving and, and therefore should be open to scrutiny. Uh, all year round, not all of a sudden once. Um, and someone pointed out, you know, with a reasonable suggestion, which is, well, there are advantages to having it on one day because it gives, you know, that's the day that they release the data. So, well, no, the data should just be con- constantly getting updated. That, that data should be updated. Uh, you know, there should be targets to either have a portal that updates the data automatically, which is preference preferential, um, or, you know, update it, you know, every week or every every month, uh, depending on you know, what level of data management is required, data handling and cleaning is required. But it, this should be, this, this stuff should be updated constantly so that we have scrutiny, transparency. Those are important parts of a, a real functioning democracy, unlike the UK, which is not a functioning democracy. 
Anyway, um, uh, yeah, so all good fun stuff. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, yeah, that's right. Hugh Merriman here um, doing another, another nice little photo with some people in a room. Um, this time, it's uh, it's competitive. This is, this is the quote from Hugh here. Competition delivers choice for rail passengers and has driven up quality and demand on the East Coast. Great to join uh, our rail partners. Is rail partners the new name for... RDG or a bit of uh, uh, or the bit or the the, the ATOC uh, basically is the representative of the train operators um, suspect group uh, and uh, network rail fine uh, operators and officials across government to discuss how we can encourage new entrants via open access reform I'm deeply sceptical of the value of open access in any location under any circumstance I, I, I'm, I'm sceptical of the suggestions that it improves quality on routes but the, where those arguments have been made, mostly Italy, um, to some extent France, but I think Italy has the strongest case for, for open access having been a success, there is su- substantial additional capacity in the Italian rail network to satisfy signals to dangers here. Hello. Um, uh, in the UK, we do not have additional capacity. In fact, we are chronically short of capacity. And it's, it's, there's an irony that the line with that some of the most squeezed capacity on the network is the East Coast Mainline, which is where the majority of open, well, almost all of the open access operations are in the in the country. And those open access operations are extractive. They reduce, they, they rely on assets, including depot facilities and so on, that are used to support the incumbent state-owned, uh, in, in much of the case, uh, operator. Um, and uh, they also rely on that infrastructure in terms of the infra- of the you know the rail the you know, the tracks or the you know, the actual linear infrastructure asset that is state supported and they it's not that yes they pay the track access charges but they it's more than just the track access charges they, they they simply wouldn't exist without that asset and they are also sitting in reasonably lucrative time slots that could be used up by LNER services they are extractive they complicate a time the timetable. They they make it a more complicated railway. Um, I I just think we should get rid of all of them. Um, uh, yes, I, I I just I just not 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 here for um not here for open access operation in, on on the mainline UK uh, on the mainline GB network. Um, yeah, they do have open access to state assets. Is my Karen here? Anyway, right the fun bit or rather the frightening bit because uh crack 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 brackets crack yes the western region um or whatever it's called these days, um, Wales and Western. Basically, the Great Western Mainline has had four cracks in the space of about a week. Um, this is this is not good. Uh, there, there are a variety of things here that are not good. So let's work in reverse order on the picture here. I'm going to audio describe this for the audio-only people. On, on the screen are, are, are three irritatingly landscape, uh, sorry, portrait phone pictures of some cracks, which would obviously be much more useful if they'd been... Everyone... Don't be afraid to turn your phone around. Um, if those people had turned their phone around, they would um, have taken a picture that allows me to see more of the site conditions to understand what's going on here rather than just a picture of the crack. It's incredible how we don't provide training to our staff to take pictures. It's like a fun... T- t- train your... Just do a just do a course. Just, it doesn't even need to be a course. Just, just like have a morning on a little briefing session and the briefing session is how to take pictures that are actually useful with your phone in any case uh, there's some serious issues going on here let's work in reverse order first picture here um because of the proximity it's a very nice 
high resolution um, and crisp photograph, well lit, uh, t- photo taken at night. Um, but it's very close up on, 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 okay, you can see that it's a crossing nose, you can see the, uh, I'm amazed how well I drew that outline with my um, mouse there. Anyway, there's the crossing, the, the nose of a crossing. So we know that this is a, a cast crossing. Um, and here you can see there is da, 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 a scallop, a fillet, a um, a cut shape into the, uh, the foot of the crossing nose here. Um, we've talked about this before in a previous episode. Um, uh, you can there's stress concentration at this scallop, at this fillet. Uh, likewise, the next picture here, um, where again crossing nose, it has failed at the um, this one. So this one's failed right at the nose, which is really bad because it's a very heavy impact here. Um, this one has failed further back, so the nose is in this direction, uh, and and kind of you know, so we're kind of going back. It's probably probably two, maybe two bearers, one or two bearers back from the um, from the from the crossing nose here, um, in, in in kind of in the direction of travel. And um, this first picture, the high, or the, rather the third picture on screen, difficult. There is some dust on the on the on the, the ballast indicating a potential wet bed but it's hard to tell also sorry behind here there's some some discoloration of the ballast um and and what looks like quite a a clean interface of the ballast i'll get rid of my scribble so you can see that again quite a cl- that clean interface there is is often indicated that there has been there there has been uh, vertical motion uh, kind of cyclical vertical motion of, the, of in this case a bearer um, which is an indicator of uh, of a of, of a f- f- track bed failure, um, but certainly avoiding. Uh, there's there's no obvious slurrying like there are in the other pictures here. You can, there's no obvious slurrying that, that would be the cause. But basically, this you know, this is not just because there is some innate failure with the with the crossing nose. It's because there's a failure of the support under the crossing. I mean, of course, also yes, it's um, the, this bearer. Ideally, the, the the layout of this this bearer. As we've talked about before, the layout should put the bearer under the crossing nose, not next to it, because actually what this creates, given the impact or all, let's, let's get rid of my scribbles, given all the impacts happen right here on this point, massive vertical impacts when the when the train goes over, um, what would make sense is is, is to um, support that rather than put it precisely on a pivot point on the edge of a bearer. So whether or not there's wet beds here, this is a good indicator of a problem with the design of of, of this standard S&C layout. So that, that's that's one thing going on here. So that's picture three. Picture two, we're going to dwell on this because it's P-Way chat and you know what, let's talk about cracks. Picture two here is is more problematic. So again, this is an S&C layout, this is a bearer, but there are much more obvious signs here of, of track bed failure, of, of wet beds here. Wet bed is a, a kind of a weird way to describe um, where you have... Uh, kind of a failure of the drainage or a failure of the track bed you have moisture underneath the uh, or kind of within the ballast underneath the sleeper moisture is incompressible which means that when the train goes over that moisture that pooling uh often manifesting itself as, as a kind of a, what looks like a slurry because you get a breaking up of the ballast which mixes into like a cementitious mud with the uh, with the water and so this this dust of the ballast potentially concrete dust as well from the sleeper uh, combines with the water to form this sort of concretey uh, or cementitious looking slurry hence the wet bed always looks very gross and messy um 
water is incom- incompressible, which means that you get um, a severe hammer effect when the train goes over a wet bed. It's very, very bad for the track, very, very uh, kind of uh, high impact forces. And as a result of that, track materials get smashed to bits. Indeed, you can see the, br- the tendons here exposed from the fact this bear has completely disintegrated. It's not just that we've got a nice crack. We've got a crack has formed, but the bear underneath is completely disintegrated. The, the disintegrated bear also suggests that, uh, and as does the hammer effect here, that trains have run over this crack which is not good we don't want trains to run over cracks uh, to the extent where you're getting hammer which suggests multiple trains have run over the crack that's that this has been in service for some time uh, how long we'll find out from the investigations i'm sure but this is not good this is very much not good this however is not as bad as picture one that we have here i get rid of my scribbles again because snc crossings you have high hammer effects you have bearers that are larger and that can cope with more force uh, they also generally are more heavily inspected essences are known points of failure essences switches and crossings the areas where tracks diverge and converge known points of failure therefore do receive more visible you know visual inspections uh, through the through the, the operation of the railway uh, the time period of the operation of the railway plane line as in the kind of just regular ass track that that, that is connecting SNC units, so you know miles and miles and miles of, of of uninterrupted track that people pay a lot less attention to, rightly so, because it's repeated, simple, straightforward. The idea that you have a wet bed that is severe enough. So here you can see the wet bed. You can see that slurry I'm talking about, horrible, messy stuff. You can see it all splashing, and it, it's actually. This, this cementitious moisture, wet wetness is actually splashing. It's a classic telltale is actually splashing that stuff up onto the rail here, um, and uh, and kind of painting it white almost. This wet bed is severe enough that the sleeper, uh, the, the rail has cracked. The sleeper has completely disintegrated, um, and the and a train is on top of it. The circumstances by which a train is stopped on top of this crack suggest to me a driver has gone over this with an exceptionally loud bang and applied the emergency brake, um, which wouldn't have been very nice to the passengers inside. This is very bad for this to be happening. We should not be seeing these failures in in in, in the operation within the operational railway. So um, this is this is not good. Um, we should not be seeing. Okay, within S and C at at crossing noses, these are. Um, should be avoided. We should not be seeing failures like this within SNC, but but it can happen. The East Coast Mainline had a surge of these over a much longer time period. It must be said, but the LNER has sees these. You know, every now and then LNER or the Rail on the East Coast Mainline will post about some of these because there's been a failure like this. Uh, partly because the SNC on the East Coast Mainline is, is knackered in lots of parts or or kind of part repaired on on existing bears, whatever it happens to be. For this to be happening on you know, so these are well, what are these? these are kind of a, probably F twenty sevens pretty standard uh, kind of uh, concrete sleepers uh, clearly a drainage you know the wet beds often drainage certainly you know, generally it's failed trap bed usually from poor drainage for us to be seeing this this level of failure is, is really bad we should not be seeing this something there has been a failure in the processes of, of, of notification of, of problems and um, I wonder what could have allowed this to happen hmm uh, it's a good job Network Rail haven't been forced to reduce maintenance and inspection frequencies, reduce maintenance staff. Re- oh, anyway. 
More on that in a second, because, uh, yes, so the, the, we're talking about the, why crossing knows is crap. If you want more detail on that, uh, then go back to episode 167, where we, we, we talk about that, fine. Um, okay, but let's briefly pause for a second and talk about um, what's happened as a result of this. Well, firstly, the ORR have launched an investigation. Actually, they launched an investigation into those three. Since then, there's been a fourth crack at Hayes. Um, uh, I couldn't find a picture of that. I don't know if a picture is in circulation. I think they're going to be in more lockdown mode to make sure no pictures get out because pictures always look dramatic and, and, and annoyingly they don't get circulated hopefully i don't know whether those pictures were originally on social media via network rail or not but the haze one i, I couldn't find um someone might be able to post a link in the in the in the chat in any case um so the orr have launched an investigation um into into they've said poor train punctuality and performance what they mean is the cracks um uh and there are other, i'm sure there are other things as well but the the yeah the, the the cracks going on fine uh and then network rail have responded to that uh, michelle hanforth here um giving a, a kind of a statement from network rail western uh the r has announced an investigation into network rail's western wales western region we welcome this review i welcome the review I'll encourage you to go further, uh, and we will work with the RR on it. Our statement is below. Uh, we welcome this cross-industry review, which recognises the importance of network rail and the train operating companies working effectively together to deliver a reliable railway for the thousands. Okay, waffle doesn't say anything. Stupid statement. Uh, next one. We know that when we work efficiently and effectively, train and freight operating companies lead to more reliable services. How, okay, right. So waffle, more waffle. However, we recognise there is much more work to be done across our region. And our biggest challenge is within the critical Thames Valley, which is one of the busiest railway corridors in the country. We will, of course, cooperate fully with the ORR as it undertakes its review and look forward to receiving its recommendations. Okay, so not really said anything useful here. Um, as I was saying, if we hop back to episode 189, which was really not that many episodes ago, which was a news episode, you remember this um, particular story relating to Network Rail cutting nearly 500 posts in track renewal. Uh, that includes the high output ballast renewal uh, teams. Ballast health being a very important part of avoiding um, wet beds. Uh, if you you know renew refresh ballast, ballast life reduce ballast life is bad for uh, creating cracks. Drink from the wet bed. Yes, indeed, Richard Fraser. Yeah, um, yeah. So as I say, it's a good job Network Rail haven't been forced to reduce their track renewals teams, reduce their headcount of skilled staff, reduce their haven't had their funding reduced, allowing them to renew drainage, haven't had uh, been forced to or uh, decided that it was expedient to reduce inspection frequencies. Um, you know of things like the geometry train, things like the ultrasonic testing train. Good job, yeah. Oh no, all of those things have happened, and this is. And then the reason I talk about this is because the ORR have opened up the investigation, but the ORR are the ones who are the conduit through which government reduces funding for the railways in real terms. The ORR are the ones who sign the check, as it were. Um, so it's a bit of a. It's all very well, you know, convening a little investigation. But what they, what the, what the ORR should do, is tell government that it needs to increase funding. But the ORR can't do that because th that's not they're they're not remitted to do that, and they know that they would be abolished if they attempted it. So it's not like anything's going to happen from this investigation. If they tell Network Rail off and say Network Rail, you need to spend more money in this area, then it only means that less money is being spent elsewhere. You know. Um, the railway is a big wall, it's, it's, it's a big flat wall colander with water pouring through in lots of holes. And um, the fewer people with fewer hands you have to plug those holes, the more water leaks in. 
uh, in this case, literally and metaphorically. Uh, have we had a, an episode on sleepers? Could be on on ballast. Uh, oh, we have had. Sorry, this is uh, uh, it, uh on YouTube here. Uh, we have uh, ha- we've had an episode on sleepers. Could we have one on ballast? Uh, we could have an episode on ballast, couldn't we? Yeah, we could. I, I fully intend to get Ben, uh, Ben, uh, my dear uh, friend Ben Brooks on to talk about um, uh, high output at some point. That'd be good. Uh, shout out. Can you start listening to this? You might well be listening now. Uh, hello, Ben. Uh, lovely to have you on board if you are listening. Anyway, um, I digress. Oh, in fact, you know what? Let's pause the news. We'll, we'll, I'm sure there might be more to pick up on this later or next time, but, but we'll, we'll keep a close eye on that. But it's it, it really is the chickens. Well, it's not necessarily the chickens coming home to roost. There could be some deep-seated issues that have lasted longer, but it's not... Uh, it's certainly not health. This is a good example of the sort of thing we're going to see happening more. Let, let's put it that way. And climate change, of course, with as we have more extreme rainfall, uh, generally climate change is going to put more stress on our drainage assets and on our track assets, not less. So we're going to see more of this, even if we weren't also reducing maintenance regimes. So tricky, tricky, tricky. Anyway, right. Let's get my little face in the corner as we push on to um, to talk about uh, the uh, the rail passenger uh, stats because that's what we are all here for, right? Um, yes. Um, so, what else have we got? Yeah, just checking the checking the chat. Do do ch- at me at my name if you've got questions. This is going to be quite a nice discursive episode. You know what? Is it twenty twenty four? Well, crikey, we're already. I, I talked about P way for a bit too long, didn't I? Well, that was inevitable. Let's uh, let's get this thing up uh, and let's talk about the the RR data. So uh, I have I need to switch. The first thing I need to do is uh, do the usual, which is switch on my cursor so that you can see what I'm talking about. Here is this. This is a, it's a PDF document. You can go and download it yourselves. Um, I'd recommend you do so. Um, background in the latest quarterly statistical release um, contains information on uh, what they just oh, this uh, come on clear, clear English campaign actually has this got clear English campaign a little uh, warning for me flicking through PDF pages quickly I should have given you that one a bit earlier shouldn't I um, ONR check your wording of this paragraph it's the first paragraph on here anyway fine um this is the, the latest. Uh, fine, whatever. This is basically it's, it's covering um, uh, the uh, the latest quarter of available data, which is the start of the financial year. So that's April, the first of April to the thirtieth of June, twenty twenty three. Um, we have got a total of three hundred ninety million journeys. What's nice is that we can look at this plotted on a little graph, where you can see the uh, the gentle but steady. Well, it's not really very gentle at all. It's a huge amount of growth um, through twenty eighteen into twenty nineteen. Uh, the kind of growth, 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 and then all of a sudden. And we had COVID. And we went from, where were we? Uh, 400 and... In fact, does it have the number on there? My my eyes have gone absolutely blind to it. Well, it's basically, yeah, well in excess, 460-ish million uh, journeys down to uh, 390. Actually, it might well be in the... Yeah, 461. uh, Peak of 461 million journeys a quarter by the way, um, in uh, the peak in, in 2019. And then we're now back at 390. So, you know, substantially kind of uh, climbing uh, on that. You know, it's it's a, a quite a substantial leap versus previous quarters as well, where it looked like, it, you know, it kind of looked like growth, had, you know, the, the, the snapback, as it were, had slowed a little. Well, then it's, it's climbed quite quickly again in the last quarter. Um, gives us a chance to see how many billion passenger kilometers were traveled in that quarter as well. A 10% increase on the previous quarter, uh, on the same quarter in the previous year, sorry. So generally we're comparing with the, with the equivalent quarter in the previous year because it, it makes sense to do so. You can see that um, the numbers were quite a lot lower in that in that quarter uh, there. You can see kind of just above 300 uh, 
in, in that quarter was it 328 million journeys versus uh, 390 so okay so the passenger journeys is not that useful a measure is is the problem uh, it, it is not that useful a measure um so uh, let's go down so um da -da 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 -da. Uh, this is interesting one here is, is total passenger revenue uh, it was 2.6 billion in the latest quarter which is a 10% increase on the 2.3 billion in the same quarter in the previous year fine good uh, and it's the point that all the data tables you can get all the raw data that's in this stuff um, on the on the data portal passenger rail usage page of the data portal links are all in the PDF it's very nice it's all very straightforward so uh, some, some nice context here so the first context is you know recovery from the pandemic um, uh, fine uh, Comparisons from April 2023 onwards will focus on year-on-year -year changes instead. So they're, they're basically they're saying that we're stopping looking at pre-COVID levels. We're going to just kind of look at things as, as 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 new. Which you know what, fine. As long as we don't lose that context and people don't people kind of don't forget that context. It's, it's pointing out the fact that we're actually still. Uh, you know, it's a shame they don't trace this graph back to the last time we were at 390. But uh, the last time we were at 390 was like what, like in 2016, 17, or possibly 2017, 18. Not that long ago, you know, we're, we're talking a few years ago that we were at the level of rail usage we have now. So the idea of talking the, the doom and gloom that we hear is just bizarre. Uh, of course, that's that's accepting the fact we also need to see enormous uh, growth. Um, uh, so, oh, right, and people are moaning about a word. What word have I said? Uh, everyone's very upset about the a word I've said. Gareth, what word have I said that you don't like? Anyway, right. Uh, the next one is uh, the Elizabeth Line infrastructure. Of course, Crossrail is opened. So uh, Crossrail, uh, as they're saying, uh, since services on the central section started running, there's been a significant uplift on journeys overall counted in Lennon, which is the kind of the accrued ticketing system. You can read more about that on John Bull's piece in uh, on uh, London Reconnections. Um, uh, so yeah, basically saying, good God, there's so many bloody journeys from that. Um, That's <laughs> essentially what it's saying. Um, so it's saying the latest quarter, so several months ago uh, there were 339 million journeys uh, which is 80 percent of the 424 million journeys um pre-pandemic so um yeah so it's kind of saying right you know, you've got to think about that, the fact that there's that um that slight shift correction to elizabeth line overestimate of journeys and kilometers so there's some over data problems with with elizabeth line data we talked a bit about that last episode so i'm going to run over it um this is also pointing out that there were multiple days of industrial action uh, and reduced timetables um which means that that fewer trains were planned the estimated reduction on strike days ranged from from 50 basically 50 to 60 no, nearly 50 to, to over 60 percent fewer trains planned so this has had a, a kind of a major um, impact on, on on through this quarter so there we are and uh, also yeah this is the fact that there's a the discussion a little bit of a discussion about split ticketing but again john bull goes into that so i'm not going to dwell on that here let's get into the numbers it's half past. Let's get into the numbers here. Um, so, uh, let's see. Oh, I see. Uh, I see this discussion. There's also a fun discussion going on in the chat. Uh, do at me when there's uh, when you have a question. Um, passenger, as I keep saying, passenger journeys by sector and operator. So, key figure. All franchised operators had a great number of passenger journeys in the previous year. Well, we'd expect that, wouldn't we? Um, and, and what's interesting is that is the journeys, the difference in journeys uh, before and after. There's a, there's a, these are nicely audios, kind of, sorry, uh, have nice alt text, these images. If you want to open the PDF and you have a screen reader or you um, have, have any kind of other uh, site issues, then th these are kind of reasonably well described, um, obviously not quite in the detail that they are uh, shown visibly. So, 
As we work our way down, we see that the biggest, the most dramatic change is actually uh, ScotRail. Uh, seen a thirty-three percent increase in in its in its quarterly passenger figures over that uh, kind of quarterly passenger journey figures over that period of time. Uh, apparently, that's because ScotRail was in an absolute shambles of a mess uh, in the preceding year, with all sorts of re- restricted working, Sunday working, all sorts of problems that we haven't really talked much about. Um, ScotRail not in the great in, in as great a way as people might think it is. Um, south of the border, uh, things are of course getting better. Um, so we talk about open access operators. We jump down to the opposite end of the table, and we can see the open access operators. They operate such small numbers. They have such small numbers of journeys that the changes in numbers are may look significant, but they're not hugely necessarily that relevant. So that's kind of it's useful that they've put the open access stuff down at the bottom because they represent a tiny fraction of of journeys. Um, you can see here that only GTR carried more uh, journeys in the quarter than than than, than uh, Crossrail did. You know, Go, uh, GTR Govia Thameslink Railway uh, sixty eight point three million passenger journeys in the quarter compared to fifty one point one million by the Elizabeth Line. That's a spectacular, absolutely spectacular. The idea that that, that Crossrail is going to overtake GTR very likely as 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 things ramp up. There's a decent chance that Crossrail will overtake GTR uh, and be the the largest kind of train operation uh, kind of mainline big train operation on uh, in the in, in in GB is 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 quite spectacular really uh, and good for TFL's finances thankfully um uh, Paul Prentice is here hi Paul uh, lovely to have you along uh, for southeastern there's certainly officially acknowledged impact from the opening of the Elizabeth line on the metro route via Greenwich yes this is another point i was going to go on to so um, there, there are other issues with southeastern, of course. Um, but we jump down to southeastern, you see there's, there's a much lower percentage change, you know, much lower numbers. LNER, well, so it's a different. So southeastern, much lower numbers. LNER is interesting because LNER is um, running a already a highly successful, very full service at this point. So their growth, at, they'd already kind of been maxing out their their you know 130 percent or plus of pre-COVID. Uh, levels, so there's only so much growth they could see actually. Whereas you, you know, Scotrail has a dramatic change because of the the mess of working. Um, you, you know, less than half of that growth was on London Overground, um, and then kind of it just kind of quite linearly looked down. You know, Greater Anglia, lots of London, the kind of the generally you've got Overground, Anglia, GTR, so wider London area um, growth. Camden Sleeper is actually very small, so we're going to kind of ignore that. Mersey Rail. Bit of growth, uh, Southwestern Railway of anti-West Coast, ten percent growth. You know, less dramatic growth that we've seen. Cross country, pretty low growth. GWR lower growth. Again, with these some of these longer distance operators, I wonder to what extent because they're actually pretty full. Um, Avanti not as full because Avanti used for a lot of the sorts of commuters that we have seen fewer of after uh, post COVID. So, but the other long distance operators looking like less growth probably because they're closer to their maximum levels that they were before actually. Um, but of course, those long distance services account for lots of passenger kilometres, but not so much in the way of um, of, of passenger journeys, which are accounted for by the the high intense, you know, the, the high density services of of uh, okay, ScotRail is the outlier here, but the high density services of of London Overground uh, kind of angle within its kind of core route, um, uh, GTR uh, and and Mersey again a, a fairly high density service, albeit a, a much smaller one than GTR and, and and some of the other London operators. Anyway, there's that data. So fine, okay, there's a little bit of a discussion. They go through sort of Crossrail and talk quite a bit about Crossrail and about the open access operators. Um, I'm not too worried about those because the numbers are so much smaller. Um, yeah, this is the. 
yeah, it's, there we go. So let, let's have a look at that. Franchise package journeys by ticket type. So this is, this is some, some interesting numbers. So there are 49 million franchise passenger journeys made using season tickets in the latest quarter, which is a 5% increase um, from a year ago. Um, advanced anytime peak off peak all had increases in journey numbers compared to the previous year however season tickets have continued to decline in their overall share of journeys with 13% of franchise journeys being made with season tickets in the latest quarter so we can sort of see um, 2020, 21, 22, 23 the comparison between regular tickets and season tickets and the season tickets have just dropped off a cliff um, which is kind of a thing that was an inevitability anyway. Um, uh, it's so lots of very interesting discussion going on in the chat already. So, um, uh, did, did, so let's see. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, Michael C. saying it's interesting to see that Lumo and Heathrow Express actually had a reduction. But it, it, that does get mentioned by the ORR. Um, only Lumo and Heathrow Express had a lower number of passenger journeys compared to the previous year. However, the totals for both operators are still relatively similar to the previous year with a reduction of 1.6% respectively. Okay, they don't really say much about why that is. It'd be interesting to unpick that. Um, EMR very full. Replacement trains they've got coming barely increase the number of seats. It's baffling that they have... Um, not increased to the maximum length of set that they could use. It's just a it's absolutely baffling UK railway move once more. Um, Paul Prentice is, is pointing out interesting that Paul, I think you're agreeing with me, aren't you? You reckon that LNER can't do much more with that additional capacity, um, <laughs> possibly an impact from Lumo um, and their initial strong growth and uh, kind of slowing down a bit. It might be accounting for Lumo's slowdown, yeah, perhaps. Um, hmm. Yes, as ever, very, very interesting. Oh, uh, Liz Line taking business away from Heathrow Express. Yeah, that that's probably a, a no-brainer. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Heathrow Express, which is just nightmarishly overpriced, and I look forward to it just not existing. Uh, it doesn't, there's no point in its existence. It's very expensive, pointed at tourists who don't know better. Um, uh, so uh, here we are. All ticket types saw an increase in journeys. Um, it's interesting that we see you know, advanced nineteen percent increase, uh, but it's it, which is those there were more of those tickets being sold the year before. So what's interesting is you know as in as a relative percentage, what's interesting is that the the anytime peak and off peak uh, services uh, kind of tickets have gone up, relatively speaking. Um, so that's quite that's kind of interesting. So um, then we get into more useful data. I think I've never been a huge fan of juries because it, it masks a lot of information. What I'm interested in is is those those changes in in, in passenger kilometres, which is the amount of people are relying on the railways at large, um, and so we've seen a ten percent increase since last year um, in in passenger kilometres in this quarter. Um, passenger kilometres still less than pre-pandemic levels at eighty six percent of the um, of the figure um, from four years ago. Um, so yes, there we go. So in all cases. The increase in passenger kilometres was less than the increase recorded in journeys. Therefore, all sectors experienced a reduction in the average journey length in the latest quarter when compared with the previous year. Um, the largest disparity was in London Southeast, where there was a 24% increase in journeys, but only a 16% increase in kilometres travelled. Um, partly driven by the opening of the central section of uh, Elizabeth Line, which resulted in a 6% decrease in average journey length. So this is interesting. This is um, interesting on a number of levels, partly because Crossrail there in that example has provided better connectivity so people don't have to travel as far to reach their destination. But also, yeah, I wonder if the reason we've seen this change is because more people are returning to the type of journey that they used to do that was shorter, like more regular work travel rather than having longer journey, or the sorts of longer journeys for the first to return because they were more necessary. The shorter journeys, the, the commuting journeys, are ones that have been slower to return as a mass. And so that's why we've seen this um, change in passenger journeys 
uh, in pasture kilometres per journey change over that year. That's my gut feeling, I believe. Um, others might have other insights. Um, so uh, there we go. You see um, that in terms of journeys have increased by. So London and South East journeys have increased by 24% compared to the previous year, but kilometres only 16%. Long distance um, journeys have increased by 8%, but kilometres only by 4%. So double the growth in journeys compared to kilometers. And then regional, it's, it's actually pretty similar. So that I'd say arguably that's basically the same. So that's quite interesting. Um, yeah, this, this is... Um, there's, a, there's a discussion that some of that includes the uh, split ticketing. Um, conversely, northern trains showed a large increase. So basically, we're about to go through the the, the comparison of, um, of, of passenger kilometers per journey Um uh, which is kind of by train operator. So basically this table, but broken down rather than being broken down by kind of uh, sector, uh, LSE, long distance regional, um, they're going to be broken down by talk train operating company, which is, which is, you know, gives a slightly different picture. So yeah, Northern trains showed the largest increase in average journey length uh, due to a relatively unchanged number of journeys and a 7% increase in pasture kilometers. So more people are, you know, so, uh, you know, people are willing to travel further on Northern, um, which is interesting. I, I don't know. I don't really have an insight into why that might be. Others, others may, um, which is uh, which is interesting. Um, so Northern Trains at the top of this list with a with an increase in passenger kilometres per journey. Um, Southeastern slight increase. C to C slight increase. Again, I think with Southeastern C to C and Mersey Rail, that will be as a result of more commuters returning. So doing shorter trips, relying on the railway. That's my gut feeling. Likewise, West Midlands Trains, TPE. It's broadly similar. This is not necessarily that much change. I think if you're down to one percent change, there's not not a huge significance to it. Uh, Anglia, Caledonia, Sleeper, Southwestern Railway, GTR, not much change really. Overground, Chiltern, not much change. What's interesting is people are travelling shorter journeys on. Um, wait a minute. Oh yeah, no wait. Ignore what I just said because these are percentage increases. So that's actually people travelling further. Um, on southeastern C to C and Mersey Rail, so and, and West Midlands, so that's not that there's more short journey commuters. The opposite is the case. It's likewise like likely they are that maybe people are just travelling from further afield. I mean, yeah, I, I, again, two percent, one percent is not a huge number. What what kind of is interesting is um, is LNER seeing a, a kind of a um, they've had a one percent reduction in passenger kilometres, but they've had a four percent increase in the number of journeys. So actually, people are travelling shorter journeys with LNER, which is interesting. Um, Similar story with with Scott Rail with East Midlands Railway with Avanti, Great Western Railway. It's interesting. It's all the long distance operators generally there, cross country Great Western. So people are using the long distance services but traveling shorter journeys with them. Okay. Um, so passengers kilometers by ticket type. So the kind of the same discussion we've just had. Um, advanced tickets. People are traveling shorter distances with their advanced tickets. They're not much change on any time or peak. Um, but they're also traveling quite a bit shorter distances with off-peak as well um, per journey. So um, that's interesting. But with their season tickets, the opposite. There's a slight increase in the distance traveled by uh, season ticket holders So uh, per journey. So that's uh, quite interesting. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, this, is, this is also suggesting that uh, the growth in... Um, passenger kilometres travelled per journey may uh, may be further reduced as the Scottish government plans to roll out their uh, peak fares removal pilot. Uh, we're going to be in following that with uh, very very closely, very closely interested in that. 
So here's revenue. This is the thing that's often quoted as, as, as being why our rail industry has to contract. So let's see what the picture was from the, from this, the first quarter of this year, the first quarter of this financial year. So uh, passenger revenue by sector. Um, this is, this is uh, currently uh, per journey um, is what the next data set's going to be. And we get to see kind of what that... Well, let's have a look at the numbers. So a barely any difference between revenue and kilometers. So this is a percentage change in passenger revenue per kilometer. This is saying how um, valuable every kilometer of journey is by sector. And we've seen a fractional decrease, basically a, a, a very small decrease uh, for a very large number of passengers, so meaningful, but a very small decrease in the value of the of every kilometer that uh, passengers travel. So that's kind of, they're, they're being ripped. This is how much people are being ripped off per kilometer, I suppose. Uh, people have got 0.4% more savvy for every kilometer they travel. Uh, so that's the reduction in how many kind of, you know, like... Um, First class travelers, I suppose, are you know, the high the, those high value tickets. Um, long distance, then the, the the revenue change per pass in pa you know it, the percentage change in passenger revenue per kilometer. We're actually making more money out of our long distance travelers uh, now than we were a year ago by about two percent. Uh, regional though reduction five percent, so better use of advanced tickets. Travelers are, are avoiding peak they're going for off peak so so they're, they're traveling cheaper per kilometer that they're moving around um which is uh yeah uh, michael c is also pointing about split ticketing yes more split ticketing thanks to train line rolling out split ticketing dft were very unhappy that they did that but rightly they should have done it because people shouldn't be paying the, a huge amount of money they should be paying as little money as they have to for their journey ideally less um, anyway, uh, so there we are, uh, saying that open access operators don't account for much, not much to worry about, don't worry about them, fine. Uh, passenger revenue by ticket type, so advanced tickets, again, this is the same statistics, so this is a percentage change in passenger revenue per kilometre. So we have, for advanced tickets, those are the cheap ones that you can book it book it, uh, ahead of time or in advance. Ooh, I really need to get like a filter. I can go in advance, advance, advance. Anyway, uh, no, I'm not Alice. I don't have the clever kit everywhere. Uh, at some point, I'll get a drop pad and some sort of thing that does uh, voice filters anyway, but that, that day is not today. 2%, um, let me just go back here. Yeah, we're making 2% more, as in the, um, the, the, we're making 2% more out of people. So advanced tickets are offering 2% less value per kilometre than they were a year ago, which is interesting. Whereas any time of peak, people are getting 2% more uh, value per kilometre. Paul, jump in and shout at me if you think I'm misinterpreting this, by the way. Um, off peak, uh, about 1% uh, less, uh, or kind of 1% more value. So the railway is making 1% less off its off-peak travellers now to, to, to a year ago or not. At the start of the quarter, April to June, uh, versus a year the year before. Um, okay, uh, I, don't, I don't. Those numbers are reasonably small. I'm not sure there's much to learn from them. I think there's more to learn from the the, the these actually. All, you know, the, the, that five percent is quite is quite something, and it is, seems seems interesting. Um, so this, there are two statistics is here. Statistics data do two data sets. Uh, data set the kind of. Heading four, heading five here. Um, passenger train kilometers and passenger vehicle kilometers. Now, these are interesting because the passenger train kilometers uh, 
tells us what timetable is running the passenger vehicle kilometers tells us what trains are being run to that timetable so it accounts for vehicle length you know train length um there's some archaic language that the rr need to update here passenger train kilometers on, uh, include only the distance covered by a train itself and does not account for the number of carriages not locomotive orr <laughs> don't use the word locomotive there aren't many on our network anymore you mean uh, covered by a train um, uh, overall just covered by the train whereas the passenger vehicle kilometers um, is covered by um, not by the locomotives and the carriages they is covered by uh, the uh, number of cars coaches carriages in a train these carriages most people understand it fine these two data sets are interesting um, you can see that there is I'm just flicking back and forth there's not an enormous change between the two um, data sets. I think the data set that I'm going to dwell on is the passenger vehicle kilometers because this is the one that lets us know who's running, who basically which train operators are running fewer seats versus previously. But the, the, very briefly, the passenger train kilometers, it lets us know um, who's running more trains than previously. Um, so ScotRail, no, I, I, because they're the reason they're at the top is because um, they're running on a reduced timetable, you know, some reduced Sunday working, well, no Sunday working, and reduced other stuff. So that's why ScotRail are running that many more trains um, at the start of this, at the start of this financial year versus the previous TPE because their service has just been so shoddy that they managed to pull themselves up a bit. Uh, Merseyrail similarly they have challenges with their train fleet and other other uh, things. I think you know, um, or the lack of new train fleet and then some kind of. Uh, similar issues with their, their um, so their timetable has increased up to jumped up to 11 percent but then I think um, possibly also they've just increased frequencies I find when they're running the new trains they have been running some of the new trains so possibly was were they running the new trains at that point are they uh, were they no they weren't were they so actually it, it's possibly they were ramping up the timetable in advance of the trades anyway, I'm not sure northern seven percent increase is possibly new trains running um, but kind of generally not a huge amount of change um, other than we jump down to LNER who are running and this is also of course it includes disruption this is this is the, the actual numbers not just the timetable numbers you see LNER's disruption quite substantial they've actually run fewer they were running a big timetable before they're actually running they were running fewer services likewise Chiltern uh, GTR actually running fewer GWR running fewer uh, southeastern but let's talk about passenger vehicle kilometers because You'll notice that cross country are running, uh, in terms of train kilometers run, they're running 2% fewer. But if we look at um, vehicle kilometers, you'll see that cross country jump down quite substantially um, at this point. And this is interesting because I, cross country are running a substantially reduced timetable. Southeastern are also running a reduced timetable. Uh, Paul is in here and can take your flack on that one. Um, uh, yeah, Steve. Can, can Steve White will will justify that on the basis of there being some southeastern as a broadly commuting railway seeing a substantial although not not exclusively there are lots of regional travels and tourist travelers using southeastern uh, but obviously southeastern rely on a lot of of, of of commuting traditional London commuting so they they have seen quite substantial changes to the patterns of travel and and have theoretically adjusted their timetable accordingly um uh, there's there's another episode in whether that was the right move to make any in any case um what's interesting here is 
it's, it's just this, yeah, this alteration. You know, they're the largest decrease in in, in vehicle kilometres they're running. This is, is southeastern and cross country. Chiltern six percent. You know, LNER six percent. That makes more sense because that's basically the, the LNER don't they can't do much with the length of their trains because thankfully most of their trains are not as many as I'd like. Most of them are fixed formations, so there's only so much they can do. So you can see this. There's not much change there in the in, in, in LNER six percent as is um, Chiltern six percent, both in terms of vehicle kilometres and train kilometres. Um, which yeah, I just found that interesting. So so yeah, you can see this the, 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 this this bit of improvement in the the, the top end Scott Rail, very dramatic improvement, um, and uh, and then you know this this quite dramatic problems at the, down at the bottom end with, with I would say with uh, southeastern cross country, interesting interesting stuff I would say. Uh, five divided by four, uh, yes that's true, yeah on average you can see what train length is um, uh, on average per, per train operator you can divide. Um, uh, number five by number four, um, and it gives you how many. Uh, so I tell you what, that's a fun, that's a fun calculation. Let's do it for LNR. Uh, LNR, we're going to divide five by four. So uh, let's, you know what, let's do this as a let's 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 bring in a little let's let's go here. Let's just let's get a little Excel table in here, shall we? Let's let's just do that. For, let's let's have a look at, at some numbers, shall we? Because that's that's a fun little thing to do, I reckon. Let's, uh, let's hop in here, and we're going to start with the LNR. Actually, you know, I'm going to do this properly. Talk um, uh, five, four, and then uh, av train length. There we go. Uh, this is this is the good stuff, folks. You're getting the really the really good stuff here. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Let's go. Let's let's do this thing. We're going to start with LNR, uh, uh, and five is uh, fifty point five, and four is. Uh, oh, that uh, four is do, 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 uh, 5.7. 5.7. And that means this is uh, 5 divided by 4. And it's the average strain length is, funnily enough, uh, let's oh, I'll tell you what, let's, let's get Super XL ceiling. Uh, let's go with. Do you want ceiling or do you want. Uh, average strain length? No, 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 let's, let's go with. Yeah, let's let's just let's just round it. Let's let's just have a nice round. Let's let's round it up. So let's let's just round round me numbers here. Boop 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 boop. Round to the nearest uh, whole car length. And funnily enough, their average train length is nine cars. Let's make this bigger. Sorry, everyone. Let's make this nice and big. Uh, and also, for the sake of argument, let's also make this uh, rail alphabet. There we go. Uh, rude not to. Right. So train operating company, LNER. Fine. What's, what's, who's who's shouting for the next one? Um, uh, let's go. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, what's another one? Let, let's have a look. I've just did about ScotRail. Let's see what ScotRail comes out with. So, uh, ScotRail uh, four is let's see, four is eleven point three, uh, but um, five is uh, forty-seven point three. There we go. Forty-seven point three. Hopefully, people see what's going on here. Uh, let's just uh, drop that one down. Your average train length is four four cars. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, that's quite nice. Uh, let's go with. Uh, let's, let's have a look at southeastern, shall we? Uh, southeastern is um, so that's uh, that's five, which is uh, fifty-seven point six. And uh, uh, four is to do southeastern. Uh, 
I keep the trouble with hovering over this is that it gives me the, the tool tip for the which is the, the alt text for the image but then I can't see what I'm actually looking at which is where um, say we're 7.4 uh, 7.4 and uh, so the average train length on southeastern is, an, is eight coaches long which is very nice um, uh, people are wanting round yeah I could have done round but I thought you're right Gareth I know I could have done the round function but people want cross country oh now XR, let's have that's actually the cross rail that we're going to XC, sorry. Um, is so this is we're looking at four, so there we go. Cross country 5.4 and uh, five for cross country is 27.3. Let's do this, let's see 27.3. Uh, did a drum roll, please. Oh, look, average train length five coaches, incredible. Absolutely incredible. People want to see Avanti. I think Avanti is quite obvious. It's going to be like eight because most of their stuff is eleven, and they've got a few short forms, haven't they? Or maybe it'd be like nine. You know what? Let's do. Uh, let's um. Uh, let's let's do Avanti West Coast. Let's see. Uh, so we're looking at five. I'm going to put in sixty-seven point seven, and then we're going to do four, which is for Avanti six point eight. All requests welcome. Let's have a look. That's there. Ten. Ten car average train length. There you go. That's the majority of them. Transpennine. Oh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Uh, TP is running 3.6 uh, million uh, passenger train kilometers, and they're running... Um, oh, yeah, I could have just been scrolling with my mouse without doing all this alt-tab rubbish. 16.4 million uh, vehicle kilometers. So that is... Uh, Five, their average train length is five coaches, which is not that's not too that's that's better than I was expecting it to come out as like four. Uh, yeah, interesting. Oh yeah, East Mids. That's a very good point. EMR. Yeah, so EMR is running. Uh, so that's twenty-seven point four million um, uh, vehicle kilometers, but they are running five point nine train kilometers, which gives us an average of a five coach again. Why are these long distance services? Okay, TP has its own challenges with, with, with Manchester's track layouts and stuff, but why are EMR and cross country, which do not have those pressures, why are they running train lengths potentially half as long as they need to be? Ouch. Uh, let's, let's do TFW. Uh, let's uh, uh, get the Welsh involved. Uh, TFW, four is 5.5 and five is 14. There you go. The average train length is three coaches. Now I'm curious as to who has the shortest, who has on average the shortest train length. Ooh, who's it going to be? I'm in, I'm in, I'm very interested to know about that. That's gone. Who? Yeah. What's also funny is you can tell the homogeneity of the fleet by, um, by how many decimal points. You know how how close to a rational number all of these are. The ones that are really close to a rational number will be one will be either. Okay, either it's luck or it's because they've got a pretty homogenous train fleet. Um, like, yeah. Um, so the Elizabeth Line, for example. I think the Elizabeth Line do run shorter trains, don't they? Northern, yeah, Northern. This is interesting. This is the whole episode has now become us doing some of this number crunching, which is funny, isn't it? Uh, Northern, right. So uh, Northern have 37.6. Oh, the people in audio-only format, this, this is really fun for you. Uh, 37.6 passenger vehicle kilometres and... Uh, 12.4 train vehicle kilometers and yeah their average train length uh, average train length is a three they have a three car trains on average um longest is sleeper 
that would make sense. Uh, yeah, let's let's have a look at uh, the Calderonian sleeper, shall we? Um, which is uh, zero point four divided by four point five. Yes, that is the the longest uh, on average eleven cars. Uh, Elizabeth Line will all be uh, all are on nine cars. So they'll be nice and long. West Midlands Railway is the guess at the shortest, is what, uh, in fact, not the guess. Uh, oh, no, it's a guess. Michael C. Reckons at WMR. So let's have a look. Uh, so that's uh, 34 divided by um, West Midlands. Right, it's not WMR anymore. It's WMT, isn't it? Yeah, West Midlands Trains. Sorry, forgive me, uh, everyone. Uh, WMT, which is running 5.6. 6. Uh, 5.6. 6 car. Uh, uh, London Overground could be interesting. There we are. Uh, Hello, uh, which is running uh, 2.9 million train kilometers and 14 vehicle kilometers. It's only five car, the average five car. That would make sense. Uh, Wales and Northern seem to be competing for the shortest. Is 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 the is what people reckon in the chat. So. Uh, yes, if I um, if I do a bit of this, let's just uh, see. It's TFW are the ones who have the the shortest versus TFW Northern, two point five car uh, car carriages. Um, yeah, there we are. That's uh, that's there. There's your stats. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Anyway, that was fun. Some some nice uh, on the hoof data creation, uh, with the appropriate typeface, of course. Um, marvelous. And that's that's the numbers, folks. There's, I think there's some interesting little tidbits in there that um, uh, that, that keeps things interesting. I think. Oh, people want a GL, GWR. That's an interesting. One. Let's do GW, let's do GWR as the 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 last uh, service. Let's have a look. So GWR is uh, 65.7, and uh, for the vehicle passenger vehicle and then uh, entry four is uh, 10.9. And that gives an average of uh, six car uh, vehicles, which is which is nice. Um, WNT is the parent company. And, uh, d d oh yeah, you're, uh, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, that is. The, uh, so that anyway. Sorry, I digress. Um, be curious about Southwestern Railways, as a lot of their trains are being withdrawn without replacement. Yeah, it's really not 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 ideal, is it? Someone wants Chiltern. I mean, you can all you all saw me how I did this, so you can all do it yourself. Um, let's uh, let's you know, I can write the whole word Chiltern out. I have the t we have the technology. Uh, so is that two point three and nine point three uh, four car the average for Chiltern. There you go. Anyway, right, enough of that. Um, the rest of the document is just uh, definitions um, and uh, stuff about methodology and quality and kind of quality. So a little bit more about the, the Elizabeth line and, and the various data sources for the information. Um, a very useful point is how the st these statistics should and should not be used. Um, this, these statistics should not be used to monitor the number of annual journeys within and between Scotland, Wales and regions of England. So um, journeys within between 
Scotland, Wales, and, and, and parts of England, fine. Uh, regional rail usage is, is, has its own uh, statistics set. Should not be used to monitor the number of entries and exits uh, or interchanges at individual stations. That data exists as a separate data set. I use that for risk modeling, uh, for platform uh, interface stuff. Um, exploring rail journey flows between origin and destination stations. Uh, no, annoyingly, that data doesn't exist in easy access anywhere. Um, the OD data is annoyingly inaccessible. It should be much easier to get to um, for all sorts of reasons. Um, and then the last thing is comparing passenger revenue by train operator, uh, rail industry finance. Again, it'd be nice to have that data easy uh, to access and understand, but they count it as commercially sensitive, I believe. And I don't think it's quite as clearly uh, laid out as, as, as the other data is here per, per train operator. Anyway, that ends with, uh, oh yeah, that's all the different data tables. If you want to get that data, it's all within the data portal. Each table is numbered so you can grab them quite easily. Uh, you can therefore automate the thing that we just did in Excel. You can automate that very easily. Um, and uh, and then all the other related data, some European comparisons, which is, which is nice, um, uh, which is good. Uh, general statistical publications that the RR do, so a little bit of chat about that. And then the, the back cover. So that is that really. Um, uh, thanks to the RR for pulling pulling that together. It's always very useful. Uh, hopefully that was insightful for yourselves as well. Um, it's always nice to do some. Uh, oh, Owen O'Neill. OD Matrix is now available on the new data, rail data portal. That's exciting. So it has been made accessible. Raphael Nicolaus uh, in the stats are Southwestern Railway and Island WR subsumed under SMT, uh, as well as the GTR companies. Oh uh, yeah, presumably. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, I presume they are. Um, right. Anyway, uh, let us let us jump forwards from that. Uh, get into my face. Uh, we'll come back for questions if you have them. As ever, uh, this episode available in audio only format. Hello, everyone in audio only format. It's a pleasure to have you along. Um, and uh, and uh, do drop reviews on the various sites that you go in, and, and also let me know if something weird happens. As ever, the, I know that the, the release schedule is not perfect on the audio, but it, it will always have released by the time the this episode comes. I will always release the the previous audio version by the before the live next week's live one comes out. I just can't promise that it happens instantaneously because it's just me. It requires me to have a bit of evening time uh, through the week to do that uh, because it requires a little bit of not a huge amount of processing, but a little bit of tidying up sometimes. You know, sort the the end, the start and the end out, and check that there's no obvious massive horrible level spikes, and also actually upload the thing onto Podbean. Um, the usual plugs, patreon.com slash Gareth Ennis for uh, the patron. Do support me uh, to make this happening. What? Support me to make this happen. I'm not speaking in any uh, solid sense there. Yeah, just thanks to the patron people. I, I, I love you all. You allow this to keep happening. GarethEnnis.com slash merch for the merchandise. Um, still in camel case, just in case you're wondering. Uh, PayPal.me slash Gareth Ennis uh, for uh, loose change and abuse. I need to check in on that, actually, because uh, I, I, I missed out on some nice abuse uh, for a while. And, of course, the chat. Everyone in the chat continuing now. You can all play with those. You can all download those tables and, and arse around with them and see what fun stuff you can create. GarethEnnis.co.uk slash Discord for that chat to continue ad infinitum. Next week, heavily requested episode, actually. We're finally getting around to it. Episode 195, How to Draw Transit Maps in PowerPoint. Discord server people, by the way, 
um, Discord server people. Uh, oh gosh, yeah, a couple of very good points. So two things. First, first thing, Discord server people, make your suggestions for maps you'd like me to draw within an hour. We only have an hour. I propose maybe four maps of increasing complexity, um, you know, visible diagrams of geographical diagrams. We're going to draw some maps. I'm going to show, give you the tools. I'm going to start super simple because some people will not be very comfortable using PowerPoint at all. And then we'll elevate up to a higher level of mapping complexity. And I'll show you how I pull maps together. Um, uh, so so that you can all create some fun maps um so there we go should be good fun um i do think they should have a capacity data set yes the, the number of trains that actually ran the number of seats on those trains and divide by the passengers yes i think that'd be very interesting master trams it's a shame they don't do that um yeah but do keep checking your questions over here by the way um the next thing in the discord server by the way uh, let's go big face for this one um on the point that uh, rigor mortis 69 has just made in the chat go into the discord server uh, imminently i will make some uh, suggestion of what we're doing for episode 200 discord server but patreon people particularly uh, hopefully will be involved again we need to work out what we're doing to celebrate the 200th episode of, of real natter <laughs> work out what the hell we're going to do um in any case uh, draw a map of what the high-speed network should look like in the uk now, that's another that's another episode knucker the cheeky monkey no we're going to be that's another episode. Anyway, right, let's get rid of my face. So, fine. Um, that's next week. Oh, actually, you know what? We're going to go back to my face. Um, everyone in the chat, thank you so much. I, uh, I enjoyed that one. That was kind of interesting. You know, not a huge amount of data to, to tap through. I'd quite like to look at some of the overcrowding. And, and, yeah, capacity stats would be very interesting. It'd be nice to compare what... Yeah, the number of seats, the lack of data about seats available. The trouble is that some trains' seats represent capacity. Some trains' standing capacity is included. Um, it'd be interesting to have seated capacity as data and be able to, but, but that data doesn't exist easily because trains have different numbers of seats and stuff. It'd be nice if we have if we had a if we had data that told us how many seats a given car, car had, and that was automatically within the system. Which in theory it is, because in theory, uh, in theory, Tops has that information within it. Yes, I. I uh, capacity data would be very interesting and it's a shame we don't have that i suspect it comes under the category of commercially sensitive even though actually no it wouldn't be it would allow us to go well that line's bloody full um yeah i think that'd be very interesting anyway everyone i think that's quite enough of that we're eight minutes long which uh which you know i, I try my best to bring these in <laughs> failing miserably uh oh hoodie easter egg by the way for anyone who wants it um uh, i will wave farewell uh, i'm waving farewell miles is also waving farewell miles is waiting for their badge by the way uh, miles is uh, badge um, saying they them we're, we're still waiting emr we, we look forward to getting that badge through from you anyway um take good good care of yourselves you lovely people and i'll see you next week to draw some maps <laughs> cheerio cheerio